I'm Joni from Columbus, Ohio, and I recommend 3C Body Shop. Nobody wants to go back twice in one year for accident repairs. But after my first experience with 3C, it made perfect sense for me. 3C worked with my insurance and everything was handled perfectly. I'd recommend 3C to my friends, my family, and anyone that has been in an accident. 3C Body Shop, the finest in collision repair. Experience the joy of watching your friends and family's faces light up when you feed them wild game you harvested and made them delicious sausages. Or meat you barbecue and grill with the finest seasonings available. Visit our friends at Waltons.com to find everything you need to turn wild game into tasty meat snacks or spice up your barbecue with new flavors and seasonings. With over 500 seasonings to choose from, there's something that everyone will love. They even have step-by-step videos and how-to articles at Beachistics to help you go from animal to edible. Use coupon RANGERS15 at checkout to save 15% on your first order at Waltons.com. Waltons, everything but the meat. The Ranger Report. Yeah, the Ranger Report. If you want the inside scoop, listen to the Ranger Report. This is the Ranger Report Podcast. News, insights, predictions, interviews, and information about the Texas Rangers from the major leagues to the minor leagues. And now, here are your hosts, Ben Dieter and C.J. Berryman. Welcome to the Ranger Report podcast. We are brought to you by, of course, Waltons in Dallas Sports Nation. I am CJ Berryman. You can find me at CJB underscore RR. We have a special guest on tonight. Well, he's he's not a, an unusual on the, the Ranger Report podcast. That's why we call him the Ranger Report BFF. We have SI.com's Ranger Report insider, Chris Halleck. How you doing, Chris? Doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, even though this is a, as Tony Clark said, a really, really sad, not only day but time for baseball. This is just, it sucks, man. Yeah, it's especially with the news coming down now that the MLBPA is bending on the playoff format. Uh, now they're looking at uh, agreeing to the owners. Uh, offer a 14 team playoff, which I'm totally against. I thought 12 was perfect. Uh, so kind of talk to us about that and what, what you, what you're hearing around your circle. Uh, well, I haven't really heard much of anything the last couple of days. Uh, obviously negotiations have, um, I won't say stalled, uh, but they've definitely calmed down. They're not meeting every day like they were. And so, you know, <laughs> I, they had the meeting on Thursday, and yeah, the report came out today that the union is at least you know open to talking about the fourteen team playoff again. And you know, whenever I, I shared that, I was just like, you know, I have a lot of opinions on why this is a bad idea, and um, you know, I don't know how many of those I want to get into. But yeah, I, I call me a traditionalist, I guess, but I just like the postseason to be reserved for the better teams. It also means 
it, it makes 162. It makes 162 game season mean more uh, than you know. It's. I mean, I already had. I mean, I, I had a hard enough time with the NBA going to what they went to with this whole like you know seven through ten seats get to go into a their own little playoff yeah that's that's ridiculous and then yeah and so now you're giving eight you know nine and ten seats an opportunity to make the make the playoffs and and then they get bounced in the first round yeah yeah it's just i mean to be fair i mean mlb does have a better um a better parity you know than the NBA does, you know, NBA is a little top heavy. Um, yeah. And uh, it typically is usually it's the same four or five teams that are in the, in the, in the you know, last four. Um, but, you know, MLB, you know, if you expand it to 14 teams, you're looking at possibly, you know, some teams that are right at that 500 mark, or maybe you're even allowing a 78 or 79 one team to sneak into the postseason and, <clears throat> on the off chance that they're hot, you know, they can possibly knock off a, a 95, 96 win team in the, in that little three game series that would take place. You know, so I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's just, it's frustrating. It, it really is just because th- the main focus behind this is not competition. It's, it's money. And that's the part I think that, that, that drives me crazy more than anything is that this is, I, I understand baseball is a business. I get that. I understand that a lot of decisions that are made are based off or that are, are based with the mindset that baseball is also a business, but the players and the owners obviously do not see eye to eye on what constitutes competition. And the players are obviously focused on, Hey, a 14 team playoff is a less competitive format than what we're offering. And the league is still adamant that, it's a better form of competition because it allows more teams the the opportunity to compete for a world series, which technically, yes, you're allowing two more teams to get in, but the, the, the impact that it has on the rest of the game, including the rest of the economics of the game um, could, there's a strong argument that it could actually discourage um, that competitive nature. Um, Teams might not, feel the need to want to spend as much money. Uh, They, they might think that a a payroll of $150 million will get it done when they normally be, you know, willing to spend maybe 170 or 180 million, you know, that that's enough uh, of a payroll to add a star player Um, or, or add two really, really solid players, you know, and that, you know, the imagine the trickle down effect from there. I mean, if teams aren't willing to spend as much, that's less free agents getting signed or getting the contracts that they deserve. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that would build like more of a barrier between the top half of the teams and the bottom half of the teams in terms of spending? <sighs> no. So what I think would end up happening is you might see some teams near the bottom be willing to spend a little bit more, which that'd be good. You might see teams that are, you know, projected to be a 74, 75 win team, try to do a little bit more to get near that 80 win threshold, because then at that point that gives them an opportunity to to sneak in. Um, Then the the problem there is, is that the competition at the top might not feel so compelled to outspend because what's, what's the, um, 
if there's only one team that gets a buy that gets that straight, you know, that, that straight trip to the division series. Well, with the 12 team format, you got two teams that get a buy. Right. And so that, that's what I'm saying. And, and I didn't like the NFL's expansion in the postseason either. Oh, no, 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 no. That was because terrible. because you you then have one team and, and <clears throat> I dislike in baseball even more than I do sports like the NFL or, or where multiple teams used to get, um, uh, you know, a, a first round buy or whatever. And now only one team gets it. Baseball is more random than team than sports like football and, and basketball and hockey. Um, and you can have the top payroll. You can have the best roster on paper, but the season's so long and there's so many variables that go into it that it doesn't matter. You could still end up not being. actually, there's a really good chance. You still don't end up the top seed in your league then what's the incentive to want to spend more money than everybody else? What's the incentive to think, why do I need to spend? Let's just say the 14 team postseason ends up um, allowing the, the luxury tax threshold to go to $230 million. What's the incentive for teams to want to spend $230 million on their, uh, on their payroll. If they know that 200 or $210 million is going to secure them, probably one of the, you know, maybe the two, three or four seed where they're still going to get home field. Uh, and then on the off chance, you, you know, maybe you do end up getting the top seed and you're able to do that uh, without having to spend, you know, into the luxury tax. So I, I still, it doesn't solve the issue that the players are trying to, to figure out at the top. And it, and, and it gives teams in the middle or in that bottom third or like in that, you know, 15 to 25 range when it comes to payroll or whatever to do just enough for plausible deniability. And you say, Hey, we tried, you know, we, we tried, you know, I, I, you know, like I said, you know, I've said many times, you know, grew up a pirates fan. So I, I kind of keep my eye on what they do. And I saw them do that after they, you know, in 20, after 2016 went south, after their three straight postseason appearances, they went into that mediocrity stage where they were doing just enough to kind of float around that 500. And they were like, see, we're trying. Um, but then they kind of now, obviously now they're doing that full-blown rebuild, which also baseball is trying to stop. They're trying to stop the full-blown tanking and, and everything like that. And at least the players are. Um, so I just, I, I don't think it, 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 would create the competition the league says it would overall. Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, now what, I mean, I know there's a lot they're disagreeing on, but the one that gets me the most is what is the owner's opposition to actually paying their minor league players? Cause it, it seems to me they just don't want to give them a livable wage. I mean, God, I, I can't even, I, I, I am, I'm almost <laughs> afraid to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the, the one the one good thing, I guess, that we can say that's happened recently is that we've seen the league offer to pay for housing for minor leaguers. Yeah. So even if their salaries are still crap, they at least have their housing taken care of. They at least don't have to worry about paying rent. Um, so th that that takes you're still going to have minor leaguers all, you know, living together. 
you know, mm-hmm. where you're going to have, you know, more minor leaguers living in one apartment, in an apartment, you know, where there's more players and there are bedrooms, but um, they're still going to be able to save money. It's, it's a better living situation for them. So that's, that's good. It's a step in the right direction. It doesn't solve everything, but it's a step in the right direction. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, it does sound like the owners have kind of backed off of that report that came out a couple of weeks ago about not wanting to pay minor leaguers in spring training. Um, you know, where, you know, they were talking about that. It's, it's like, uh, um, an internship or something like that. Like it's valuable experience. No, come like, on. Yeah. It, that's, 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 if that's what you're trying to tell your minor leaguers, you're essentially telling the prospects that are coming out of high school, you might as well just go to college. Yeah. That's what, that's yeah. What, I mean, I had to do it. I had to do it. I mean, you had to do as well, Alec, to get the J school degree, you had to do an internship, right? Yeah. It's just, I mean, you, you, and, and so, but it, yeah. but it wasn't, it was like a, a semester long, and then that's it. I mean, and I luckily found a way to do, I was writing for top of Texas full magazine and that counted as an internship and I got paid to write each article, but these guys don't, I mean, to, to me, to tell me it's an internship, bull crap, college is an internship, you know, so might as well go back to college. If that's the way they're going to put it. Yeah. And the thing is a lot of these high school kids that are coming out have a scholarship of some kind. Whether it be yeah. a full whether it be a full ride or or there or whatever percentage it covers, they have some sort of scholarship lined up, especially the guys near the top. Uh, you know, the first you know ten rounds or so, and, and then at that point, especially the, the the deeper you get into the draft and the smaller the signing bonuses get, the, that high school kid has to really think about it. Like, man, if if owners are if nothing is progressing when it comes to how much money I'm going to be paid, because I know pretty much my signing bonus is going to be the money that gets me through um, my time, in the minor leagues. And if I only get a $10,000 signing bonus, that's not enough. That's not enough to even last me a year. Um, so I might as well just go to college. Like that's just, yeah. And, and even, even for the big name kids, you know, like even Drew Jones, I mean, he, he's looking at this too. I mean, Drew Jones is right now, the number one draft prospect in baseball. If I'm him, hell, I go to college and develop in college and then build your worth or whatever, you know. And I just I don't know. The the way the way it's looking as far as the non-major league players and players that are not on the 40-man roster, something's got to give. They I mean they've got to improve, you know, their way of life overall, I think. Um, and not just by, okay, we gave you the signing bonus. And so you can live off that. No, that's BS. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, I think the, the one thing, and this is probably the, the only thing that I can really say, and, 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 and it kind of goes, and this is, is me as somebody who's trying to keep an open mind on things because I grew up watching baseball in a certain era. I grew up watching baseball where certain stats were the, the, the stats that you paid attention to. Um, and so as I've gotten older and as I've learned, you know, and watched the game uh, more and more, especially since I've, you know, been covering a team full time for now going into my third season, whenever it begins. But um, I've had to learn to to kind of evolve and understand how the game has changed. And this whole thing that I'm seeing about certain players that are saying like, 
oh, well, this is the way it was back in the day, back in my day. You know what? This whole back in my day crap has got to stop. Just because that was the way it was done in the 70s and 80s and 90s does not mean that it was right. Just because that's the way it was done back back in your day does not mean that was the way that was right. Now, I'm right whenever I say that 2000s music was the best because that was. (laughs) I I agree, brother. I agree. Because so you, now you and I are the same age. I'm I'm 37. How old are you? Are you? How old are you, Chris? 34. 34. All right. So we're we're in the same boat there, brother. So we're at when so whenever I say that, I'm right. I'm just kidding. But that's like that's <laughs> like the same mentality though of being like you know you know back whenever I was a minor leaguer, I was only making I was making peanuts and I never complained once. Well, then good for you. I'll give you an extra pat on your back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just, just because that was the way it was back in the day. If there's a way that you can better maximize your future as a club, you should be doing it. You should be investing everything Bingo. you can to your club in order to better your future. And just because that was the way that that's the way it's been done for decades does not mean that was that, that it's the right way or that it's the way that you should do. Baseball has continued to evolve, and if and if you want to be out in front of everybody else, try to be a trendy follower. Invest more in your minor leaguers, and if it ends up paying off, and you end up building the best farm system in baseball, and more, and you start hitting on a bigger percentage of your prospects, then other teams might follow suit, and then it'll help the game overall. Period. Bingo. Bingo. Be a trendy. Yeah, be a follower. Good. Yeah, that, that's really what bothers me is it seems like they're the 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 move moving forward things that they want to do aren't the right ones to actually move the game forward as far as fans and as far as players are concerned. The things they want to do are to try to maximize the amount of TV revenue money they can get because that's where most of their money comes from. And it irritates me just as a fan, not as someone that, that writes and covers and, and podcasts and all that, but as a fan that, I mean, the hard deadline killed me. I was so mad that night that they, they, they put the hard deadline. They took it. They canceled games. I mean, is there anything at this point Manfred can do to make, I mean, I saw today on Twitter that, 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 that uh, I saw, I saw today on Twitter that a minor league team had, that there was a team that had banned him for life from coming to their yeah, stadium. That was, that was a, that was an independent league team. Yeah, yeah an independent I league. Did. I mean, is there anything he can do to recover at this point? In terms of his legacy, I, I don't think so. I mean, his legacy was already, was already uh, kind of not great to begin with. Mm-hmm. And now that he's seeing, you know, that now that he is the one who's overseeing the, the first work stoppage since the 94, 95 strike, that was bad. And that and he and seems that, like he's enjoying it. Yeah. Now. Yeah. And see, that's the other thing is that, I mean, he's now it's claimed games and he, he can't even, and I said this in the column, he can't even act somber behind the podium. No. Whenever he's canceling games. I mean, he's, he has, he gives off that nervous laugh before he starts. Uh, and then he jokes with the reporter and, you know, and I understand he was, you know, re, re, uh, you know, joking with Ken, you know, David off who, earned a very well you know very deserved retirement and and that's great but that's kind of that's kind of you know more appropriate when it's not in the formal setting of the press conference at least try to make it look like this whole thing that you're doing right now you know make it look like this is the worst thing in the world because you are 
canceling games that affect owners' pockets, that affect players' paychecks, that affect the fans, and uh, and and that affect stadium workers. And yeah, we'll that that here in a minute. yeah, I was just about to hit, yeah. hit on that too. That affects stadium workers and affects people like me who write about it. You know, site traffic for me is taking a hit right now. Yeah, uh, because people aren't as aren't as interested in, in reading about baseball right now because. Normally, March is a pretty decent month when it comes to side traffic because, you know, spring training's in, it's in full swing. Right now, I mean, it'd be March 4th. We're about, we would be nearly a week deep into games. Um, We would have already been pestering Chris Woodward about the same type of positional questions that we do from the outset of camp. Uh, We're not doing that right now. And, uh, And so it's impacting people like myself. I'm not trying to, you know, complain about my own job. Um, but I'm just one of millions of people who are impacted by this right now. And, um, and I think the biggest problem, and I understand being the commissioner of a sport is not an easy job. I, 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 I'm not trying to say that, you know, this is an easy, you know, there's an easy solution to all this or that, uh, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to understand, okay. Being the commissioner of baseball is not easy. You work for the owners. Like, I mean, he is hired by the owners and it's his job to make them happy pretty much so that he keeps his job. I mean, anybody else who has a job, if you make your boss angry consistently, you're not going to have a job much longer. You've got to keep your bosses happy. But at the same time, you've got to also look out what's best for the sport. And Right now, I just see him being too much of a yes man for the owners and not trying to really be a good communicator between the owners and the players, which is yeah. an essential part of his job. He's got to be a good communicator. But Selig was way better at that than he is. Uh, for, you know, with all of Selig's faults, he at least could was a decent communicator. Um, that's not what's going on here. And I think that's where Manfred has really failed more than anything, more than, more than calling the commissioner's trophy, a piece of metal. He's just, he's, he's, I mean, more than, more than the optics, the optics are bad. That, that, that's a given. But when you really look, if you try to look beneath the surface, even just a little bit, I don't have to dig very deep here. The players have serious contempt for the guy. If he were, oh, least, yeah. if he were at least trying to lobby for the players to the owners be like, listen, if he were to try to be, if he were to go into, into the room with the owners and be like, listen, our revenues are doing this. Like I'm pointing nearly completely upwards. Our revenues are doing this while players salaries are stagnating. We've got to try to, they've actually gone down a little bit. Yeah. If you look at the overall scope of it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, average player salaries have dips each, you know, four years in a row, not counting 2020 season, but, um, you know, when you look at stuff like that, you look at Manfred's got to go into the owner's room and be like, listen, I know this is going to make some of you angry, but I'm, and I, I, I want to try to make as many of you happy as possible, but I've also got to look out for the sport as well. We got to be able to throw some, throw them a bone of some kind here. And that's just not happening. Um, and so that, that, that is, and he can get behind the podium and he can say everything he wants to say of being like, like Oh my gosh, we're going to give him a $700,000 minimum. That's the biggest bump in history. Okay. Again, you can t- talk about all the things that you're doing and how, 
you know, that, that it's, you know, an increase of this on based off of our, you know, precedent. But it's actually what you're not doing this way. I'm looking at it. Yeah. It's just, again, I, I think it really comes down to he, he is trying to be too much of a voice of the owners. It's essentially, it's pretty much Manford is essentially a 31st owner. Yeah. That's yeah. And that, pretty, pretty that's, much what yeah. that's, that's what, what frustrates me is because, you know, he, yeah, that they're his bosses, but is he so dense that he can't look around and go, Oh my God, this is hurting the game in an astronomical way. This is hurting the game so bad. And it started with him moving the damn all-star game last year. That's when it all started to me, at least with the, with the people around me, they're saying, I'm not going to watch baseball anymore. I can't stand that guy that, that runs it. Um, and now it's getting worse and worse and worse. And so more and more people are not paying attention. And you know, if he had the, had the sack to go out there and say, Hey, okay, we're going to lift the lockout. We're going to play in our, the old CBA this year. And that's going to give us more of a window to, to talk. Okay. We can talk throughout the season, but we're going to have baseball, go play ball. We'll do this behind the scenes and, and we can hopefully have a deal done by December 1st of next year. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a, there's one complication and this is not um, trying to defend the owners at all here, but there is one complication and cause I, I keep hearing that. And I even thought, you know, if you're going to sit on your hands for six weeks, at least allow, you know, at least allow business to continue during that six weeks and then lock them out. However, the problem is because that, that was, you know, and as I've, uh, you know, dug more, you know, dug further into this and everything and, and Eugene Friedman, that, that the labor lawyer that's been doing so well, you know, breaking this down on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. He's pointed this out and it, and it was like a light bulb moment for me. The competitive balance tax, the luxury tax, sunset at the expiration of the last CBA. So if the owners don't lock out the players minutes into the expiration of the CBA, yes, they can continue to work under the guidelines of the old CBA, but without a competitive balance tax in place. And that is something the owners are not going to go for at all. Yeah. And that is why they lock them out immediately because if they allow those six weeks to go by and allow free agency to continue and allow the winter meetings to take place and allow the rule five draft to happen and allow trades to happen, all of that is happening without a competitive balance tax over everybody else. And the Mets were already going to be blasting past the thresholds that were in place. And now there's going to be no thresholds until a new agreement's done. Owners aren't going to allow that to happen. But but in my argument against that too, and I'm not disagreeing with you or disagreeing with the owners, but wouldn't that give the owners a leg up in proof in having proof right there, going, hey, this is why we need a CBT. Well, and right here. Well, and so that's what and that's what Max Scherzer pointed out in his press conference is this: the CBT was originally put in place to be uh, to to prevent runaway. It was a runaway mechanism. It it was put in place to stop the Yankees and Red Sox from running away from everybody else in payroll. It's a runaway mechanism. It's not a cap. And the problem is, is that too many teams are treating it like a cap, even the Yankees. They're treating Mm -hmm. it like that. They'll they'll go over one year. Then they'll go back down under it because they don't want to pay the penalty. They don't want to pay compounding penalties for, for consistently going over the tax. 
Yeah. Well, and speaking of Scherzer, he brought that up. He said uh, right. it's it's weird when the Padres spend more money than the Yankees, and right. that's he said that's what was his argument, saying it's essentially a salary cap. And so, and and even the thing about that is, is that yes, yes, it, it is acting as a cap, but salary cap systems, and it, I can't say this enough. I know I've said it on Twitter, and I know I've, y'all have already heard it, but I'll say it again for anybody else who hasn't heard it. Salary cap systems come with a floor. Every single one, the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, they come with a floor. So if there's no, if there's, so if there's a cap and there's no floor, you are, you are essentially putting a cap system in place, but with no floor. So you're preventing the big teams that want to spend money from spending money without holding any of the teams at the bottom accountable to put your revenues back on the field. And that's been my huge contention that is that the, the, uh, the players need to come up with, you know, hey, let's do a salary floor. Okay, you want to keep the CBT where it is and the luxury tax where it is? Fine, but let's put a floor in place yeah. to where teams like the Pirates and the Reds and, and the Marlins, they have to spend so much money, which is going to in turn bring more guys. I mean, think about it with the Rangers alone. Mike Miner, Lance Lynn, Kirk, Gib- uh, uh, Kirk Gibson, <laughs> Kyle Gibson, <laughs> Kyle Gibson. Um, you know, the, those guys that, you know, get a second chance. Well, the Rangers were in a position where they weren't going to go anywhere. So they're giving these guys chances, you know, and Matt Moore and guys, other guys that didn't Jordan Lyles that didn't pan out. Well, they're getting another shot. Well, they can get these shots with these teams that are not willing to spend. But now if they have the salary floor, more opportunities are given back to those guys. So it could work out in a positive way if there yeah. is a salary floor. I y'all completely froze up for a second there, but I think I heard everything that y'all were. You I made were a damn good much. point. Just, just disagree with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, 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 the one, the one, I guess, argument I'd have against that is players. If you put a floor in place, I'm not saying, cause I even asked a few players when, when the went back, you know, several months ago, when the, the proposal first came across, when the league was going to offer a salary floor, I asked a few players, what's the, what's the, what's the consensus here? And the best reaction I got was that it was a mixed reaction. Um, and the reason why is it resembles a salary cap. Even if you have, even if you don't have a cap and you just have the luxury tax over the top and, and, and that's it, you can still spend to your heart's content. Um, you know, you have the three different thresholds at the top and you can still spend your heart to your heart's content. Uh, so there's no cap, but there's a floor at the bottom where you have to spend. It's still going to resemble a cap to the players and the players have long been against the salary cap. It's not changing. I've seen, you know, I, I, you know, interact and follow with, you know, people from, you know, who either cover sports in Pittsburgh or fans of Pittsburgh sports, because, you know, that's where that's my upbringing. And all of them are pounding the table for a cap right now. And I just, I keep wanting to tell them it's not going to happen. Just stop wasting your breath. It's not right. going to happen. Yeah. And so anything that resembles a cap, which includes that salary floor, it's just not going to happen. Not unless I, somehow they keep the luxury tax thresholds where they were or even raise them. Hmm. And then the players would be like, okay, well, if you want to put an $80 million floor in there too, we wouldn't be opposed to that. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. About around $80 million, every team has to spend $80 million at least. And the, the NFL did it. I mean, it works. It right. does work. And, and if you look at it, I mean, you all know this better than anybody. One of your rivals, the Cleveland Browns, what was it 2014? They were taking on contracts and just eating the money, you know, trading for players, but also compiling draft picks. I mean, their, their first and third 
first through third round picks for the next four years look like an NBA team. <laughs> and, uh, and they were just taking Brock Osweiler. They traded for Brock Osweiler just to get to the salary cap floor. You know, they were, they were taking on all these contracts, but that wasn't, they were tanking, they were building. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not that they were intentionally tanking. It's like, Oh no, we're going to build assets for the future. And and now look, you know, they're in the playoffs of the past two years. So that's the kind of way I look at it. That's where I'm going to disagree with the players. Yeah. Um, but that's just my contention. Well, I mean, that's the thing is, you know, like there's a part of me that would love to see an, an even playing field like that, but it's kind of one of the things that I, that I like to see is use money is not your only resource for building a good team and no players and, are too. And, and that's, that's the, that's the, the part of this that I, that I like without having a cap, whenever you keep a, a system, like what's similar in place. And I'm not saying it doesn't need tweaking. It absolutely needs tweaking and need and needs to, to be put into a better position, but, uh, it'll, it challenges teams to use resources other than money uh, to build their team. So you have to, you have to be able to, to, to develop players. You can spend to your heart's content. You can put all the money you want into your team. The thing is, is that you could run into a bad, into bad luck one year and two of your star players get hurt that you invested so much money. in. now uh, you, those players that you were relying on for production aren't there. And if you weren't investing in player development, like you should be, you don't have any prospects to come back behind them and, and save the day. Um, you have to be able to develop players. You have to be able to invest mu- some of your actual money that does come in that you do get from revenue sharing into player development and not just onto your major league payroll. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, th- th- that's the part of revenue sharing that we don't see wh- whenever we see teams that are kind of near the bottom that get that thing in 2019, every team received around $200 million in revenue sharing, something like that. That That's a rough number. I think I'm pulling from the top of my head. I don't know that for, so don't hold me to that number, but I think it was roughly that, that just every team received at least $200 million in revenue sharing. A lot of that money has to go to, you know, should go to player development. Not I'll say a lot, but you have to be able to earmark some of that for re- important vital resources that are outside, um, that are outside of your, you know, major league payroll. Thanks for listening to the Ranger Report podcast. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and at therangerreport.com.